I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with Karen Lane. Um, Karen's been in property management for commercial real estate her entire career. Uh, She's worked with private and institutional investors on both coasts and internationally. So, um, Karen, I'll I'll stop there. Like I said, I I think um, getting your story from from you is is much more interesting than me reading it off. But first, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking out the time to come and and join me today and, uh, you know, share your story with us. And, and uh, I'm sure we'll get some great tips on property management. So, so thank you. Well, you're welcome. And I hope I can help anyway. You know, like I said, commercial and residential, sometimes the same, but sometimes different. But there's a lot of aspects that are very similar. And I think investors will run into the same situations for sure. For sure. Why don't you just, can we just start with, you know, what, what is your background? I know, you know, your bio says you've been uh, sort of doing this your entire career. So um, maybe give us a little bit of a rundown of, of how that looked for you. And then um, we'll go from there. Yeah, I started um, longer than I care to admit. Um, <laughs> and uh, I've just been in it ever since. It's one of those things you kind of my generation, we fell into it. And once you fell into it, you couldn't get out of it. And I ended up managing properties from Florida, Georgia, Maryland, Washington State, Washington, D.C., Dubai, Panama, and back here in Charlotte. So I assume, well, I guess I don't know. Did, did Were you... Did you move around a lot and you went and, you know, sort of lived in all those places and managed while you were there? Or you're talking from a, you know, from a remote standpoint, building a team on the ground in those in those locations. How did how did it look for you personally? And then, um, you know, kind of. Well, personally, um, it really just depended on the position. Um, For instance, like in Dubai, I had to build a team from the ground, and that was um, from a building that was being commissioned, a brand new office building, um, 30-story office building. And, you know, I had to hire all the people and get them trained and get everybody, you know, up and running. But then there's other positions I've had with other companies where, you know, some of that was either... They had their own in-house maintenance crew or they had their own accounting department. And so it's varied from one extreme to the other, but it's always just a matter of, you know, getting what the investor wants and what their goal is. You know, that's the biggest thing is getting, what is your goal with this property? And then looking at how you can achieve that goal for them. Okay. Your, you mentioned, you know, kind of there's some some differences and similarities between residential and commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe let's talk about that a little bit and kind of, what, you know, as, as much as you can. I'm not sure if you've spent 
the majority of your time in commercial real estate, or you've kind of done both, there's been a mixture or, or what, but um, maybe maybe point out some of those differences and, and we can then kind of, I guess, dig, on, dig in on, on both sides maybe. Yeah, um, I've dabbled, I'll say, in residential from the standpoint that, you know, I've had a few apartment buildings and such um, with my different portfolios, but my primary focus has been commercial, i.e. retail, industrial, and office buildings. The di big difference, I'd say, is with residential, the landlord is responsible pretty much for everything. With commercial, it's going to be spelled out in the lease. And many times the lease will have the tenant responsible for a lot of maintenance that say in a residential unit, you know, the, the landlord would handle in a commercial unit, it would probably fall on the tenant to handle it. Things like stopped up toilets, you know, um, air conditioning maintenance, things of that sort. Sure. And and I guess for the listeners, just from a clarity standpoint, because we often talk about we include apartments in commercial real estate, mm -hmm. but but you're talking you're just defining them or, or creating the distinction in terms of um you know effectively, I guess residential meaning places that people live versus commercial where is where businesses live essentially and is yeah, I, I just, that's just a habit I've gotten into. I've noticed a lot of people do refer to multifamily as commercial, but my thought process has always been, you know, yeah. that's residential and the other is commercial. Yeah. And it, it makes total sense. I get, I get why you would say that. I just wanted to make sure people listening understand, you know, what we're talking about. When we talk about apartments, we're still talking about the umbrella of commercial real estate, but here we're looking more at, you know, kind of those uh, probably like a triple net lease type of situation exactly. or, or some variation of that. So um, maybe talk about the process, right? So if, you know, you, you can use an example, however you want to frame it, but, you know, you had this, this building in Dubai and, and how do you approach that when you're, you come on with something that's, you know, if that's a new build, that's probably different than like, like you said, when you're taking over something that has um, you know, some of the team in place. What's your process for, for getting things um, up and running? Well, there's always a process and it's a transition period. And a lot of times, you know, depending on whether it is a new build or an existing build, we have to get as much documentation as we can get, whether it's, you know, existing leases or leases that have been signed that are going to be in effect once the building gets the CO. Um, there's getting together and figuring out um, a lot of the um, mechanical stuff and how often that has to be inspected and how often it has to be um, maintained and serviced. There's also the side of the accounting, you know, getting each tenant set up with accounting and, and what they're going to owe in rent, when they're going to owe it. Um, if we have triple net, then we have. That's okay. <laughs> oh, you, you're muted now. Yeah. Was... Oh, there you are. There you are. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, 
now it's, it's a question of you know basically you just kind of go through the steps and you you put together. I'm sorry, I am so sorry. Hey, can you hang on and let me put that yeah, out? Let, let me pause. Yeah, recording. <laughs> little little uh, technical uh, <laughs> technical slash dog um, interruption, but yeah, yeah, a four legged interruption. That's right. That's right. It oh. happens. No problem. Sorry um, about that. No, no worries at all. So, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of touching on things you have to put into place. And and mm -hmm. I guess one, um, one probably major distinction between, you know, so commercial and, and, and residential here is, is length of lease. I'm, I'm, you know, yes. sort of most people, when they rent an apartment, you're probably going to have a year long lease. You might have sh slightly shorter, you might have slightly longer. But when you're talking about, you know, sort of commercial building leases, that's typically quite a bit longer than a year, correct? Yes, yes. They they can range anywhere from three years to 20 years, depending on, you know, who the tenant is. Like when you've got big, big tenants like, say, you know, Harris Teeter, which is a grocery store, Kroger, mm -hmm. um, they'll typically have probably a 20-year lease with, four or five, five-year options. So they end up with base, basically a 50-year lease. Right. But when you've got mom and pops, then you're talking three to five years usually is the max you'll get out of them. Okay. What's your strategy for, suppose you're, you're, um, you're managing, you know, kind of a, a shopping center with, with maybe that, you know, there's a, Harris Teeter or some some sort of you know big grocery store but then you have a lot of times you'll see a grocery store and then a bunch of other little shops kind of attached to it is, mm -hmm. is there a particular strategy that goes into that where you want you know you want one um really yeah. sort of anchoring store and then you want then you want shorter leases on the other ones or you're just trying to maximize the length of like what or does that depend on the investor how do you, how do you approach that a lot of times it will depend on the investor and what their goal is but um, any retail lease, we try to get, like I said, a minimum of three years to five years. And it used to be 10 years, but now it just seems like more and more they're getting shorter and shorter because people don't want to commit. Um, but it's, it's based off of the fact that when you have an anchor like a grocery store or, or a department store, they're drawing in um, the people so they get the, the beneficial rates and they get, you know, basically, you know, beneficial treatment. So you then have to make up your income off your smaller tenants by, you know, charging them whatever the market rate is. Sure. So, so it wouldn't, from a financial standpoint, probably wouldn't be very ideal to have, you know, kind of a, a shopping center that's all you know kind of that anchor type of tenant because they're going to expect that favorable lease treatment um that you were describing you, you may not want you know a grocery store and a cvs and a, and a you know all of those kind of clumped together you you need something in there to kind of uh I don't know, supplement with those with those leases well you would think but actually we had a shopping center here in charlotte recently um, that was developed and it's pretty much all the big guys it's you know Burlington Coat Factory Hobby Lobby 
Ross, TJ Maxx, Home Goods, you know. Um, I think the smallest tenant is probably like a five below. And that recently went on the market for, I believe it was like $78 million. Okay. Well, I guess, I, I, and again, it probably comes back to, to whatever the investor, you know, sort of whatever their thesis is in terms of, you know. Well, it's whatever they're looking for. I mean, something that big is going to be, you know, an institutional investor, but the fact that it's all national you know, no names. That's one of the big pluses too. When you've got all these national companies, then you're not worried about, you know, getting enough sales that they can pay the rent because you know they've already got all their marketing in place and they're going to meet those goals without any problem. Yeah, it's a, maybe they're slightly lower returns, but that's going to be just a higher, higher, or sorry, a lower risk profile as well, which is, I mean, it's, it's really no different than, you know, say a, a, a class new build commercial building or sorry, um, apartment building versus a, you know, C class value add. You're just talking about, you know, lower returns, but, but a, a safer, uh, in theory. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you get into the value add, that's when you usually have a tertiary market, you've got some vacancies, you know, and you've mm-hmm. got to kind of fill it up to increase the value. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you maybe a little bit about office. Uh, I, since the pandemic, that's always obviously been a big, you know, sort of a hot topic in the sense that, you know, for for a while, the, all the office buildings were basically vacant. Um, and some people have claimed office is dead and all, all of this. And, and probably, you know, a lot of that stuff gets a little bit overblown. But, but what are you seeing in in that particular asset class from your standpoint, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm not too involved with offices at the moment. Um, the ones that I do have, a lot of them are just single tenant, like lawyers and they're, you know, they're always going to be occupied, but there has been a lot of vacancy in the office. And, and there's a lot of talk about how the value is going to go down because mm-hmm. of that vacancy. But then at the same time, you're seeing where a lot of companies are starting to push their employees to come back to the office. And my thought process on that is that, you know, they're they're paying for that office, whether the employee is in the office or not, because they have a lease contract that they're bound by. And they probably are starting to feel like, well, if we're going to pay for it, then we want the people here. Um I think office, I don't think office is dead, as a lot of people say. I think that it is going to evolve. And I think the companies that evolve their office process maybe to more of a hybrid work Mm -hmm. and then, you know, get away from the cubicles and, you know, give it a little bit more of warmth in the office, then people are going to want to come back to work. Yeah, I think that's a great point in that it, it you've got to make the office maybe more of an experience uh, mm-hmm. than just packing people into cubicles, you know, with, with tight little space that people don't want to, <laughs> people don't want to leave home and, and uh, risk whatever illness just to be um, kind of jammed together to do something that they could probably do at home at just, just as easily. So it makes total sense. Um, 
I hear uh, people talk about like office conversions and things like that. Are you yeah. seeing any of that? Are you seeing, um, you know, maybe that be a way to salvage some of the value in some of these um, office buildings? I've seen, you know, and heard about that. Honest in Charlotte, I don't, they really haven't had a need. Um, Charlotte has kind of outpaced the rest of the United States and we've stayed really, really a hot market. We've had companies moving in when everything else was shutting down. Um, so th there's not that much of, of the conversion going on here unless it's maybe like a class C building that they want to, to try to convert just to make it something that they can lease out and market. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose that makes sense where, you know, it's going to be like many things, uh, market specific, you know, if you're mm -hmm. in a, a hot, hot, high demand market, people are going to, you know, real estate is going to still be, uh, have good value, maintain its value. So, um, that, that does make sense. What are you kind of looking at, um, you know, we, we sort of going back to where we talked about having a team and things like that, when you're, is it a different approach if you're talking about things that are local to you? So so in your Charlotte mar market versus the the other places you mentioned, you know, whatever it is, Dubai, Washington, D.C., any, anywhere that's kind of outside of your easily, uh, easily, driven to type of locations, what, what do you look at in those instances maybe differently? Well, the thing you have to look at differently there is your maintenance contractors, your landscapers, your sweepers, anybody, you know, even your tenants pretty much have to be your eyes and ears and, you know, let you know whenever there's a problem or if there's something that comes up. I mean, we try to get to all our um, properties that are outside of Charlotte at least once a month. And, you know, it's a lot of windshield time, but it also gives eyes and feet on the ground, you know, to see what's going on with the tenants and with, you know, any issues we may have. Yeah, yeah. I guess that makes sense. You still, you still have to get there and be there personally. Yeah, uh, I mean... But in the meantime, you really do. You have to depend on the people that are there. And a lot of times that's where there's the partnership with your tenants because yeah. they can help you and tell you, you know, okay, you know, this is going on. And so, you know, you need to address it. Same thing with your vendors. If they're good vendors, they're going to say, hey, you know, I noticed you got a homeless problem or I noticed, you know, that, you know, a pole light was out or something like that. Mm -hmm. What are you doing to try and like, I, I know this is going to probably vary and depending on the, the um, particular asset, but what type of things do you look at for um, maybe both in your due diligence as you'd formulate your business plan, but also just to increase NOI on these properties, what, what kind of, um, I guess, tips and tricks might you have to, to tell people that would help them if they've got, you know, a similar type of building? I would say, you know, first and foremost, you know, you got to get your collections. You know, you got to make sure the tenants pay on time um, because a lot of times that'll drag out and drag out and you'll roll from one month to the next. And my experience is 
you know, once somebody gets two months behind, they're never going to catch up. Um, the other thing I would say is you look at the expenses and you look at, you know, exactly what those expenses are and how you can, you know, possibly reduce them without reducing services. You know, big thing right now, of course, is like parking lot lights. We, you know, we're doing a lot of retrofits of parking lot lights from mercury halide to LED. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, just savings on, uh, and again, I guess this is maybe something that that overlaps with, um, you know, sort of that residential side where we'll do water saving programs and things like that, where we go in and essentially just outfit the entire complex with with new um, toilets, new fixtures, everything to to you know sort of decrease the amount of water usage. And same thing right. on the lights, right? You can you replace all those exterior lights with LEDs. Now your electric bill goes down. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, so it sounds like it's not a lot of those strategies are probably pretty um, similar I think they're, across they're asset classes. Across the board. Yeah. I think it, it really is across the board and, and depending on, you know, what you say, if it's something where the landlord's paying the water bill, then you're going to be wanting to look at it and know that, you know, there's no leaks and you're not paying an exorbitant amount of water just because somebody's got to run a toilet and it hasn't been fixed. Right. Right. You mentioned collections. Um, and of course, everybody, we want, we hope to have good collections on our apartment complexes too, but I would imagine that the eviction process, if that's not happening is different in these types of, you know, sort of commercial and, and office buildings versus an apartment complex. What do you see? How how does that, I don't even know how that process sort of works if you're talking about, you know, unlo it's unlikely you're going to have to evict like evict like a, a grocery store chain, right? That's not, but, but right. maybe some of these smaller shops, um, if they're not paying, as you mentioned, what, what, how does that look different than it does for, you know, an eviction situation in a, in a, residential um, scenario well i believe and now it varies state to state sure, but i believe yeah. the the actual process of the filing and the court hearing and the 30 days and all of that pretty much runs the same whether it's commercial or residential but i would think that the difference primarily would be that you know you're talking a business versus somebody's home right, and i right. would think that courts are going to lean a little bit more in favor of those that are, you know, you're kicking them out of their home versus, you know, you're saying, okay, look, you know, you can't make the business work. It's time to close it down. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. I, I think, you know, you don't want to force people, you know, you don't, you don't create, you don't want to create homelessness with through eviction. Okay. Um, but you're, you know, yeah. A business that isn't able to sustain itself is, you know, that it's not the same. And, and what I've seen, as... yeah, a lot of times it's, it's a matter of, you know, just negotiating with them and just saying, look, you know, you're not going to make it, you know, we'll apply your security deposit to what you owe. Let's just, you know, call it a day and you move out. Or, yeah. you know, some owners are like, no, you know, I want to hold them to it and we hold them to it. We get judgments and go after them that way, but it's based on the owner and, and, you know, how they feel about it. Um, 
you know, but just like in COVID, we had a lot of things where we had to defer rents for, for people, you know, especially yeah. when the businesses weren't open. And then we work out, you know, like a way they can pay it back. And usually part of that includes the landlord, like forgiving a certain amount of it too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're just having the difficult conversations and coming up with, you know, mm -hmm. some, some solution that, that works reasonably well for, for everyone involved. Um, well, Karen, let me, let me switch gears here. I want to ask you the questions that I get to ask every guest. And the first one is based on the name of the show being know your why. So I ask every guest, what is your why? What, what's your, your driver um, in, in terms of pushing you forward to, towards success? Well, I would say that I have been lucky enough to see a lot of success in my career. Um, as I mentioned, you know, being able to actually do my job and do it overseas. Um, now I'm at that point where my why is that I want to get investments of my own and, you know, make those work for me so that I can quit working a W-2 and start working my own investments and managing those instead of managing other people's. I yeah. found I'm good at making money for other people. Now it's time to make money right. for me. You want to you get yourself on the other side of the table. Makes, yes. <laughs> makes total sense. Makes total sense. That's great. Um, tell us something about yourself that uh, isn't common knowledge. It could be a special skill, a hobby, something just to let the listeners know you better. Uh, let's see. Not common knowledge. Well, it's common knowledge that um, I speak my mind. Uh, I've been accused of being from up north many times because <laughs> I'm so direct. <laughs> No, I can hear the accent. <laughs> I would say that, yeah, you can tell by the accent. But um, the only other thing is that I love dogs. I've been rescuing and fostering and working with different rescue organizations for over 10 years. And um, it's that's definitely a passion. I love it. I love it. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a, I'm a veterinarian. So I uh, saw that. I yeah, saw yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I too love dogs. So that's, that's great. <laughs> uh, they definitely, they definitely need uh, people like yourself. Um, when people hear this episode and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Um, probably the best thing is just through my email, mm -hmm. which is info at Allison, A-L-I-S-O-N property.com or feel free to call me. I don't mind at all. My phone number is 704-980-7114. Okay. We'll have that in the show notes. Um, my final question for you, what is something that, or what, what is a piece of advice that you would give someone, uh, you know, getting started in real estate that you would suggest will help them sort of get going and, and really start taking those steps forward uh, to, uh, as an investor? As an investor, I would say that you want to pay attention to the fine print, whether it's the purchase agreement, whether it's your you know mortgage agreement. Definitely, you've got to do your due diligence because there is a lot of times, especially when you're talking with bigger properties like multifamily and commercial, where you'll get a price based on the pro forma, which is what they're projecting that it can do right. in a best case scenario. You want to look at the actual books and look at the actual numbers before you make an offer, because you want to know that 
this property is really worth X amount, not what they're saying it's going to be worth once you buy it and turn it around. Yeah, no, that that's great advice and and <laughs> applies to all uh, asset classes, really commercial, residential, <laughs> even even uh, you know single family type rentals. You've mm -hmm. got to you don't you don't want to make your investment based on what the broker tells you it's going to do. You really need to do, Definitely do your not. And, and get it yourself, get it uh, really dialed in yourself. So um, no, that's, that's a fantastic piece of advice. Um, Karen, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate having you on today. I appreciate you taking the time um, and, and come in and share, share your wisdom with you. I think I, I mentioned this, but you're, you know, we, we haven't had, uh, I don't think I've had anybody um, in sort of property management as a guest on the show yet, which we, should actually probably do more of this, but um, we're, we're definitely a unique animal. I will say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it is. It's. A, it is definitely a um, a special skill set to to do well. It it is a special skill set. There are a lot of people uh, that are you know <laughs> property managing that it's maybe not their skill set, but uh, but yeah, when you find when you find a good property manager, you find someone who who really does know what to do to you know sort of create wins at all levels, right? We want to, we want to have good returns for our investors. We want to have um, happy tenants. Uh, you know, it, it, all of that is uh, important. And so it, it really takes good property management to sort of, to walk it that does. And create it does. Wins and on, and on that's sides. where the investor really needs to take the time to, to get to know the property manager that they're going to hire and make sure that they know what that investor wants out of that property. Yeah. Yep, and I and I would say that's that's on uh, us as investors to be very clear on that, right? Mm -hmm. it, to um, identify your business plan and present it to your property management group, so that you, everybody's on the same page and, and working towards common goals. So I think it's it's uh, really it is truly a very important part of the um, puzzle in in any sort of uh, commercial res or residential real estate. So yeah. Thank you yeah. again. Uh, I do appreciate your time. Um, and uh, anyone uh, for, for the listeners, uh, please go ahead and like, rate, and review. It allows us to get more great guests like Karen. And um, have a great day, everyone. Thank you. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.